This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Tonight, I want to speak to you about the need to return to your secret place. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to begin right there in chapter one, and we're going to start reading right where we left off last week in verse three and four. And here's what it says. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. Say shame. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with or destroyed by fire. As I already mentioned throughout this series, we're gonna be answering the call to rise in the same way that Nehemiah does here. And we see it in his response to the challenge that was in front of him. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates of the city have been burned with fire. And so Nehemiah has it within himself that he's gonna go back and he asks for the king's permission, the Persian king's permission to go back to Jerusalem to attend to this matter, to rebuild, say rebuild, and restore, say restore, the gates and wall of the city. Verse four, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. Anybody feel like crying last year? Yeah, a few of us. And I mourned. Anybody mourn something that you lost in the last couple years? And I continued to fast and pray before the God of heaven. So what does Nehemiah do here? He fasts and he prays. He weeps and he mourns. He weeps and he mourns and he fasts and he prays. Now, I touched on this a little bit last week and I spoke on the importance of mourning and grieving, of embracing the full human experience of emotion over that which has been lost, whether it be people or things in our life. And I made this statement. Don't overlook the need to mourn and grieve over things that you've lost. Don't overlook that opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity to do that and to lean into that. But also, next slide, Liam, don't miss the opportunity to fast and to pray for God to do what only God can do. And tonight, I want to direct our focus toward that last portion of this point, prayer. And I want to talk about prayer. And I want to look at Nehemiah's specific response to do this as a template to help us with our own prayer life. Are you with me tonight? And so let's begin with the question, why do we pray? Why should we, or why do we pray? Now, if you go to Google, which I don't recommend you do, but if you go to Google and you type in that phrase, why do we pray? You're going to get probably thousands of different ideas and thousands of different perspectives and reasons and answers to this timeless question, why do we pray? But let me give you just a simple biblical definition or answer. Go back, please. We pray to connect with our creator. We pray to connect with our creator. As creatures, yes, you are a creature, as creatures made in the image and likeness of God, According to Genesis 1 and 2, 
we bear what? We bear his design and we bear his breath. We see that in Genesis 1:26. He made man and woman in the image of God. He created them. And then in Genesis 2, we get a little bit of a better picture of how he went about doing that. And it says that he formed man and woman from the dust of the earth. And he what? Breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. So we as creatures made by a creator bear his design. We bear his fingerprints and we bear his breath. So prayer, simply defined as creatures who are made in the image and likeness of God who bear his design and breath is simply this. It's giving back your breath to him. It's reconnecting what he's given you to him. And just as God spoke the earth and spoke the world and spoke the ever-expanding universe into existence with nothing but his voice, you and I have both been created to speak and to communicate with God through prayer. We pray to connect with our creator. Now, just to simply define what prayer is, let's do that. Prayer simply defined is this. It's speaking to, next slide, speaking to God and listening to God. Now, some of you are really good at speaking. How many of you would consider yourselves good talkers? You can carry on a good conversation. How many of you have the gift of gab like Pastor Jason does? A few of you. Matt, yes. Everyone knows Matt has the gift of gab, right? Yes, lots of uh, fun with that. But how many of you are, would consider yourself great listeners? How many of you enjoy listening? Where you can just sit in a room and observe and, and take it in and be quiet and kind of get the, the layout of the land. How many of you are good listeners? Okay, so I want to say this at the start. Prayer is not simply just speaking, it's also listening. It's a two-way conversation. Now, I've had to learn, and, and those of you that are married, you, you learn this in marriage, in the context of marriage, that a relationship is built on being able to both speak and communicate and listen. And it's the same in our prayer life. It's having a conversation with God where you learn to speak and listen for his voice, which if we're being honest, and I hope we are, it's the listening for his voice, which most of us find to be the most difficult thing to do, right? And here's why I believe this to be the case. Number one, let's put a few of these reasons up. Our lives are often too busy and full of noise. Our lives are often too busy and full of noise. Number two, our values and priorities are often upside down. Number three, we get distracted easily and we don't know how to be still. Now, there are probably other reasons that we could point to, but for now, it's these three obstacles that I want to address in our time together. You see, Nehemiah certainly had some obstacles that he had to face, didn't he? He was living in the palace of the king, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. He had a specific and important role to fulfill. He was the king's cupbearer, as I mentioned, which meant that he was busy. He wasn't just sitting back, chilling on a pillow. He was a busy dude. And the reason I think that many of us struggle to hear God's voice is because like Nehemiah, sometimes our lives become too busy. Or we allow ourselves to be overtaken by busyness. Now, there's a big difference between busyness and productivity, isn't there? Yeah. 
For some of us, we find ourselves becoming busy because what we secretly and inwardly want is to be productive. We want to live a life of meaning. We want to feel important and we want significance. And so we fill our lives and our schedules with all sorts of things that we probably should have said no to, that we said yes to. And then we feel stressed out, burned out, come on, worried, frustrated when our lives become overcome with busyness. For some of us and for you parents, it, it sometimes means that your life is full of noise. I've got three kids that are turning into teenagers, gulp, and uh, our house has become really noisy. Anybody else have any kids and can relate to this? I've found that even just to get some peace and quiet sometimes, I got to retreat to the basement or I got to go out and do, take a walk because I do a lot of work from home and some of you who work from home, you know what that's like. But um, it can be distracting and it can be chaotic and it can be crazy. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can allow the busyness of our lives and the noise of our lives to overcome and overwhelm our ability to hear God's voice. The other reason we don't make time for prayer that we struggle to hear God's voice is because of our values, because we don't value it or we don't prioritize it in our life. And as a result, we've prioritized things that probably should be further down on the list, i.e. Netflix binging. Now, I I like Cobra Kai, so I have to make a confession to you. Anybody watch that series? I grew up with Karate Kid. I'm a product of the 80s. Yes, the crane kick was was like my go-to move as a child. I'm all about that Karate Kid magic, and I, I love the show, and I, and I love what it, the nostalgia and all of that. But I got to say, sometimes if we're not careful, we can find ourselves reprioritizing our lives around entertainment or around escapism. And there's nothing wrong with a little entertainment, a little escapism when it's in its rightful place. And last week I talked about, and I asked you the question, where does Jesus rank on the priority list of your heart? Where does Jesus rank in your life? Is he first? Is he the one that you value time with? Is he the one that you prioritize for? Because what is of priority to us is and are the things that we will make time for. The things that we value are the things that we make time for. So when people come to me and say, well, I just don't have time for that, oftentimes that's not actually what they mean. What they're saying is I haven't made time for that because I don't value that like I value all these other things. Now, here's something I learned that I'd love for you to learn. Jesus has given each and every one of us the same amount of time each and every day. The question is, what are you going to do with the time that Jesus has given you? How are you going to prioritize your life and what are you going to value? Because what you value becomes priority. When asked about his plans for the following day, the old German reformer named Martin Luther, maybe you've heard of him, once said this, and I like this quote, I'm going to work, I'm going to work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Now, when's the last time you looked at your schedule and your itinerary, your reminders and your to-dos, and you said, I've got so much to do. I better go pray for three hours first. (laughs) Maybe this year that that might be just a great place for some of you to start. And it doesn't have to start with three hours, but maybe you start with three minutes, right? Or three seconds. God help. The end. (laughs) 
But I love this quote because this speaks to values. This speaks to priority. This speaks to what we make time for. And he says, I have so much to do that I need to pray. What if we began our day this way with this kind of mentality? I think this also speaks to the third reason that was up there, why we typically struggle to hear God's voice. We get distracted easily. Let's go back to that last slide, Liam. We get distracted easily and we don't know how to be still. Now, I'm a doer, so I typically loved being engaged in some kind of activity where I can do things. I like to use my hands, as you can tell. I like to use the full gamut of the gifts that God's given me, but I like to be engaged in activity, which means that silence and stillness are typically difficult for me. That might come as a shock to some of you. It's not really the the natural operating mode of my heart, which means that I actually have to work really intentionally and hard on this, as some of you might. But I've learned that unless I make time to be still and get alone with God, that it's not going to happen. Anybody else find that to be the case? That unless you carve out a time and a place to pray, that it's probably not going to happen. Well, I want to say this to us, and I want to encourage us, because I believe a part of this message and a part of the call to rise is this, to return to your secret place. To return to your secret place. What is the secret place? What do I mean by that? The secret place, let's Keep moving, Liam. Go forward a couple slides. The secret place is a place and a time that you have set apart. To set something apart is to consecrate it. It's to make it holy. It's to sanctify it for a particular specific purpose. I've taught on this in the past, but you have dishware that is non-sanctified dishware that your kids eat off of, like Tupperware. It's plastic. It's made out of rubber. Sometimes it's made out of paper. You can throw it in the trash. And then you have sanctified dishware, which is consecrated unto special purposes like Thanksgiving dinner. All right, so when we got married, my aunt, God bless her, blessed us with a ton of really nice china. I don't break my china out and let my kids eat hot dogs and mac and cheese on it. That's not the purpose for which it has been set apart or sanctified. When we had our Thanksgiving dinner, we pulled out the china and we all gathered around the table and it was great because that was the purpose for which that item was given. Well, in the same way, the secret place is a place and a time that you have set apart, that you've sanctified and made holy. That's really what the word holy means. It means set apart. It means other than, distinct from, different to. And it's a place and time that you've set apart and made holy to God just to be with him and him alone. It's a place of prayer, say prayer, and worship, say worship, that nobody has access to except for you, which means that you don't post about it on Instagram, you don't show a picture of yourself in your secret place with your cup of coffee and your Bible laid out on Facebook. Come on, somebody. By the way, if people can see it, it's not a secret. Just throwing that out there. One of my favorite biblical authors, King David, he writes about the secret place. And he does so in perhaps one of his most famous Psalms. Many of you know it, Psalm 91, verse one. Here's what it says. He who dwells, she who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, I've emboldened the words or the phrase the secret place here. In the Hebrew, 
The word for secret place is the word sather. Say it with me, sather. Sather means a secret shelter or a covering or a hiding place. It's a place that is hidden and distinct from the world. Biblically speaking, the secret place was a place that only you know about. And it's a place where you would go to meet with God. David had a secret place where he would go to meet with God, to spend time with God, to pray and to worship God. I believe that David's secret place when he was a shepherd was out with his sheep, out in the fields, tending to his flock and spending time in God's good creation and reflecting and singing and writing songs about who God is in the midst of it. That's why David could say what he said. He who dwells, he who abides, he who sits down. That's what the word in Hebrew dwell means. It means to, to rest a while, to chill out with God in a place that nobody can see. Now let me ask you, do you have a place where you can rest a while, where you can sit down and dwell and abide and chill out with God where nobody else has access? If not, this might be a great year and a great time to do so. Fast forward, just about a thousand years later, Jesus, the Messiah, shows up and he starts referencing the need to return to this secret place, to this sather in helping his disciples, people like you and me, just ordinary folks, not people with double masters in biblical studies and great theologians and monastic monks who know how to pray. No, just regular folks with day jobs. Jesus starts teaching them how to pray in the way that the Father responds to. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. And here's where I want to direct us. Verse 5. Next slide. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. The word hypocrite here means mask wear. It's taken from Greek drama, where actors would put on masks. So when they were sad, they'd put on the sad mask. You guys know that one? Or when they were happy, they'd put on the happy face mask. They were hypocrites. They were hypocrites. They were mask wearers. Jesus says, when you pray, I don't want you to wear a mask. I don't want you to camouflage yourself. I don't want you to hide behind or conceal who you really are. For they, the hypocrites, the mask wearers, love to stand and pray in the synagogues and out at the streets that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, what is Jesus emphasize? Why is he emphasizing the secret place here? Was he against praying out in the open? Contextually speaking, by this time in Israel's history, the religious leaders and teachers of the day had made it a point to every day get out in the public square and pray out in the open, not because they were inviting people to come and intercede on behalf of their city. Not because they were trying to invoke people to come and pray on behalf of others, like we like to do here on Tuesday nights. But because they made it a tendency to make a show out of their spirituality. You know what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say they wanted everybody to know how spiritual they were. Look at me, I'm spiritual. Look at my elegance. Look at how good I am at praying. Look how good I am at all of this spiritual stuff. They were mask wearers. They're hypocrites. And Jesus says, listen, they, they're going to get what's coming to them. In other words, they already have their reward and it ain't going to be good. 
But you, and I want us to hear this tonight, you, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door behind you and pray to your father who is in where? He's in the secret place. Waiting for you and I to meet him there. Isn't that good? Many times we ask God to show up and he's already there and he's been waiting for us to show up. I think sometimes we need to restructure our prayer life, especially when we come together corporately because the truth is the father's already been waiting in the secret place. And Jesus goes on to say, and your father who sees in what? In secret will reward you. Now, notice Jesus says when you pray, not if you pray. Why does Jesus say when you pray? Because it was Jesus' expectation that all of his disciples, all of his followers would pray. It wasn't his expectation that they might get around to it, but that they would prioritize prayer the way that Jesus did. Why? Because they were taking on his yoke. They were taking on his interpretation of Torah. They were doing life according to Jesus' terms now. They were following after him. And so he emphasizes the when and not if because he expects us to do the same. And then he goes on to provide us and them with the where, the secret place. Could it be that like David, Jesus knew something about spending time alone with the Father? Could it be that Jesus knew the importance of shutting out the noise and distractions? Could it be that Jesus rearranged his priorities around the value of prayer? The answer is an emphatic yes. Jesus prioritized prayer. It was his top priority. And he would often retreat and he would get to a, a solace, a, a place of solitary and solitude and quiet and stillness and pray. He would, he would leave the busyness of his ministry itinerary and his work and his day job and he would go and he would just pray. He would just connect with the Father. And he would just speak and listen for the voice of God. Friends, you were made to pray. Just like the disciples here, you have been given this great invitation to meet God in the secret place each and every day. And I'm wondering if this year we might say within ourselves, rather than just another New Year's resolution, rather than just another fitness program that we're probably going to fall off the bandwagon of anyways, what if we put prayer at the top of our list? What if we begin to value and prioritize prayer the way that Jesus does and the way that he encourages his disciples to? Could you imagine what our lives would look like? Could you imagine what our churches would look like if we weren't just responding to crisis and reacting to things that were going wrong? Listen, I love praying for y'all. And I love being able to lift you up before the throne of God. But you know what would be awesome? Is if you went to God before a problem happened, before a crisis occurred, instead of viewing your prayers like insurance, you know, fire insurance, ah, I don't know what to do. What if we endeavored together as a people to go to God in prayer first, to like Martin Luther set out some time in the morning just to pray and to spend some time with God. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we know that when we do so, we're going to be able to encounter a loving father who's been waiting there all along. 
You were made to pray. And in the same way, I believe that's the Spirit's invitation for us to return to the secret place, to return to making prayer a priority. And here's what I want to say, and I don't want us to miss this. The secret place is not just about geography. It's not just a place. It's a posture and attitude of your heart. It's a posture and attitude of the heart that says, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to spend time with the Father before I spend time doing anything else, before I seek anything else. And this is what Nehemiah would do, and this is what he models to us in his desire to pray, before he sets out to rebuild anything, before he gets his hands dirty, putting mortar and brick upon brick, he prays. Do you remember the words of his prayer? We read it last week, verses five and six. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Verse six, let your ear, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear what? The prayer of your servant, who is what? Praying before you day and night, day and night. So evidently, Nehemiah was relentless in his prayer life, meaning he didn't give up. He didn't allow busyness or distractions to keep him or get in the way of his prayer life of praying day and night on behalf of the people and his own family. And I love that. And I believe that God is inviting us to do the same. So the only real question that remains is how, right? How do we pray? Well, I'm glad you asked. Luke 11, chapter one. Let's look at this together. I think one of the biggest reasons why we don't pray is because we think it's hard or we've overcomplicated it, or because we just simply have never been taught. So tonight I want to give you a little how-to. Are you okay with that? It's for this reason that Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Listen to what it says, Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a, what? A certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. I believe this clarion call, this rally, this invitation, Lord, teach us to pray should be the cry of every believer's heart. God, teach me how to connect with you in the way that you want to be connected with. Teach me how to relate to you in the way that you want to be related to. And it just so happens to be that Jesus is more than willing to help his disciples. And he goes on to give them, and we're not going to cover it tonight, but he gives them a beautiful model for prayer, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. And if you have some time this week, I really encourage you to read the rest of chapter 11. Now, Borrowing from one of my favorite teachers on prayer, Pete Gregg, who is a part of a, a big church in the United Kingdom, he wrote a book on prayer that I think is one of the best books that I've read on prayer. And I've read quite a few books on prayer. The challenge with many books on prayer is they spend a lot of time you know, covering the theology of the why that they don't really get into the how. And so tonight with the last few minutes that we have together, I just want to talk a little bit about how you and I can pray. And so I'm going to use this helpful model and this acronym from Pete Gregg's, Pete Gregg's book called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. A Simple Guide for Normal People. Here's the acronym that he suggests. Are you ready for it? Pray. <laughs> P-R-A-Y. Pray. Pause. Rejoice ask, and yield. Pause, rejoice, 
ask and yield. Now, I, I'm not like a big acronym guy, right? Sometimes they can be a little cliche, but you know what I love about this? It's simple and it works. Let me show you why. Next slide. When we pause, we start. To start, we must stop. So we stop to start. We become still. We cease activity and we pause for a moment. We just stop. When we rejoice, we allow worship to fill our hearts. We allow our hearts to be filled with gladness and with wonder. And we think about all the things and blessings that we've been blessed with and we give God thanks and praise. When we ask, we do so for God's help. And we do so on behalf of ourself. We call that petition prayer, where we're petitioning for God's help. And we do so on behalf of others. We call that intercession. Okay, so I just want to make these terms really clear and really practical for us. Because sometimes when we hear these words, these big flowery, important sounding words, we're like, well, I don't know if I've got a calling to do that. Yes, you do. If you are a faithful believer and follower of Jesus, you have the calling and the mandate upon your life to pray. And you can do it. You can pause and you can rejoice and you can ask for God's help for yourself and for others. And then, of course, the last one, yield. Yielding is all about surrender. It's all about confessing and forgiving those that need to be forgiving. And it's about listening for the, the work of the Holy Spirit. It's about listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, I should say. Every single one of us can do this each and every day. You don't have to be an expert. You can start right where you're at. I want to encourage us this week, not next month, not by Easter, but this week, each and every day, to start our day pausing, rejoicing, asking, and yielding. And I believe that you'll be absolutely amazed at what God's going to do in your life when you do this. So, in this way, we can all maintain an ongoing lifestyle of prayer. And we can find a rhythm that works for us. Here's what I want to say, just to encourage you. Next slide, Liam. Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Keeping it simple means that you don't have to offer God lots of language and lots of words. He says, don't pray like the pagans do, where they think that by their, their many words that they're somehow getting God's attention. Keep it simple. Keep it real. Take off the mask. Be honest. Be authentic with God. Guess what? He already knows what you have need of before you ask. He's already in on where you're going to go before you even go there. Why? Because he's a good father. Sometimes when my kids come to me, I'm like, all right, what is it that you want? And they're like, well, dad. And I'm like, I already know where this is going. That's the same way it is with God. So just keep it real. Don't try to impress him with your language and with all of your ideas and all of your, your tricks and shortcuts. Just, just be real, be simple, and keep it up. Keep going. Be persistent. Don't give up. Some of us, we get discouraged when we don't get answers to our prayers. But that's all right. Keep it up. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep rejoicing, keep asking, keep yielding. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.